Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spen, joined by Bob Phelan. Our co-host Nick Stevens is taking the week off, spending some time with his family, but he'll be back with us next week. Uh, on tonight's episode, we're going to be joined by Bowie Bay Sox outfielder Johnny Riser, who's going to talk about his season. And we're also going to get into some of the big news of the day, including the promotion of Jemai Jones to the major leagues. All of that will be on tonight's episode. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business. It was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So I'll jump in now and introduce tonight's guest. He was a seventh-round pick in the 2019 draft out of TCU uh, and is currently an outfielder on the Bowie Bay Sox. He is Johnny Riser. Johnny, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. So, uh, as a 2019 draftee, you were part of the first draft class under Michael Elias's front office. Uh, has the process for developing hitters changed since then? And if so, how? It for sure has. Um, just coming into 2019, after I was drafted, there wasn't a clear, um, just a clear set of clear guidance of what was going on with the hitters. The I guess offense. We didn't really have a plan. They we just were going out there and performing. Um, they didn't really give us uh, a goal or uh, what to strive for in terms of offensive production. But um, this year has been has been very clear since the start. Um, they've been implementing a plan, a process, and it's just it's been going very well in terms of um, the Orioles minor leagues system. The farm it's just been a, it's been a great uh, been a great time. And beyond just the statistics, obviously you performed really well with Aberdeen, earned that promotion to Bowie, and you're doing pretty well there as well. But even outside of just the base stats, do you feel like there's been a progression this year for you with like the analytics and all that? A hundred percent. I can't. I can't stress enough how how productive it's been in terms of everything that they've uh, provided and the goals that they've uh, been wanting us to achieve and strive for. Um, just 2019, I, I did well in terms of numbers, but it's more than that. You can you can just you can do well at a lower level and you, like short season low A. Eh? That's pretty. It's a tough place to be, but as you move up, it's going to get tougher and tougher, and that's that's what's going to separate the the good from the great. And I think just a, a learning process and taking the plan that they're trying to give us is in terms of like swinging uh it's balls and strikes you know the swing selection swing decision and just i think that's just going to help overall in the in the long run and 
I can already see the uh, results as I as I uh, move forward. That's awesome. Now, speaking of getting that promotion, what is it like to get promoted in the middle of a season and just have your whole? I'm sure it's exciting, right? But it's also you know it's a change of scenery. How tough is that? It's it's uh, just like you said. It's it's tough in terms of um, just like leaving friends behind, but you get to meet a lot of new people, a lot more new people. Um, you get to new scenery. That's what I like. I like playing away stadiums because you don't get in a repetitive motion of things such as playing a buoy for four straight weeks or something. But it's always good just just to be able to uh, just experience new things and just to hang around new people. So it was a, it's a good experience. Would you say that jump from high A to double A is as big as advertised? I, I honestly think so. It's – it's it's a challenge in terms of uh, just how different the pitching is because there's a there's a lot of good pitching in high A, but what separates them is uh, being able to locate their pitches, their fastball, their off speed, and just doing it in in any single count. It's just it's tough, but that's the thing with the Orioles. They're very, they're implementing that uh, swing decision, and that's been going well with us. That's I think we lead like double A and walks. OPS maybe, but it's been it's been pretty cool just seeing all the statistics. But yeah, now let's talk about something a little more fun. There was a viral moment you had about a month ago, I think, when you made a catch jumping into foul territory. It was pretty outstanding. Yeah. <laughs> how how was that moment for you? And did you realize that it didn't count as an out at the time, or did you have to have that explained to you? That that was a cool moment for sure. Just being behind Grayson, you know, a stud. And you're just trying to do anything you can to help him out, get him out. And so, you know, it was a ball hit down the line. I knew, like, I visualized before I even got got into the didn't made that play. I was like, maybe if they hit a foul ball, I'll be running down the line. I'll maybe hop the fence, and it just worked out perfectly. But I, I didn't know it was it wasn't an out until I looked at the umpire. He was saying safe. I'm like, what is that? But. I mean, I guess in the rule book it says it's 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 still in play unless you gotta. But yeah, it was tough. But just to make that catch was pretty cool. And we'll still add it to your highlight reel. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> That's a pretty big outfield of Richmond, so you got to cover a lot of ground at that point. Was there a moment where you knew you were actually going to jump the wall, or did it just happen? It just happened. It was just, I guess, athleticism and instinct. So I just saw the wall, took a quick glance. I knew I couldn't reach over and just grab it, so I just I knew I could jump it and just jumped in and it just happened. So how is the culture in Bowie right now? The team's been having a lot of success this year, but everything we've heard, um, you know, we talked to Ryan Fuller last month, and everything we read uh, out of Bowie is that it's just a really special culture from the coaching staff on down. So how are things in that clubhouse right now? It's amazing, honestly. Uh, just from – Double A, Triple A. Uh, I know there's a lot of guys that were moved around and stuff, but we still have a great culture, great program. Bowie is amazing. I love the people there, the coaches, the players, the staff, just everyone there. It's been a, it's been a great experience. And even though we have some guys that left and went to Triple A that were big energy providers, I feel that we still have a lot of guys in Bowie that can still bring that energy, bring that life to the clubhouse, and. Um, I just think that's going to be really cool down the road to see what happens. But, yeah. So um, you've been with Kyle Stowers and Zach Watson pretty much the whole way since you've been drafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the chemistry like between the three of you? <laughs> it's a, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. It's a unique one. 
we got Watson, Zach Watson. He's from Louisiana, and uh, Kyle Stowers from Cali, and me from Texas. So it's a good little mix. We're all different in our own ways, and we all get along, and we all bring something to the table. So I think it's a it's a really good mix. Now, how hard is it to stay prepared mentally and physically? Uh, last year, in twenty twenty, with the pandemic, you know, you're getting ready for the season. It shuts down. You have a whole year. What do you do in that time, and how tough was that? Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a grind for sure. It wasn't. It's just finding ways to keep yourself busy. It's just that's the biggest thing. Um, it's a long time. You don't know when the season's going to start up again. You don't know anything. Um, you just you're 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 on the edge of your seat. You don't know if they're going to restart the season and bring us back. You don't know how this COVID thing's going to work out. And so we just remained patient. And just trusted the process, and I'm sure a bunch of the guys on the team did the same, just working out, hitting baseballs, just doing whatever they could to stay ready. And uh, I just think the biggest thing was just being mentally ready and physically ready. You just never knew know when the season was going to start up or what would happen. So it was tough, but we made it work. We managed. Despite that, did you feel like you made some improvements in that time? Were you able to utilize that? to the best of your ability, or was it really getting back into the thick of things that when you could really implement things? Uh, for me personally, it was a big time for me to just be healthy and just just get back to normal because I had hip surgery in uh, December of 2019. So all of 2020, I would have been out for until July maybe. So half the season right there. So COVID was kind of a blessing to me in all, in all honesty, but uh, – that's the biggest thing was just trying to stay healthy and get strong. So, Did they kind of have an expectation set out for you that you would start the year at high A, or was that something you really had to go into spring training and earn? Uh, they didn't really tell us, so I was just doing my doing my best. Um, I was having a little bit of pain still with, like, my head and back, but um, – Spring training, I just was there, and I was working hard, um, just trying to stay healthy, like I said. But uh, I didn't know where I would be. I didn't know how things were going to go. So just kept trusting the process, was working hard. Came um, towards the end of spring training, was doing well. And so they said I would be at high A. Um, I, I didn't know if I would be in high A, low A, double A. But high A was a good starting point, and then just doing well for the first first month or two in Aberdeen. And then just getting promoted is part of the plan. So, so who were some of the best pitchers that you faced this season? Uh, a lot of them. Uh, probably Kate Cavalli. He's a uh, he's a good good stud. Um, Tolly from Akron. He's pretty good. Lefty. Um, Medina. He he is he just throws gas from the Yankees, Luis. And then we faced some big leaguers like Luis. Uh, Severino, Severino, Severino. Yeah, dad. yeah. Um, and then we just faced a uh, guy from the Phillies that just rehabbed this past week. And those are always there. There's really good pitching prospects in Double A, so it's always cool experiencing that and just seeing some big league guys rehabbing and being able to compete against them. Yeah, but maybe none as good as the guys on your own team. Who would you <laughs> rather stand in the box with, Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall? Ooh. They're both. Both challenging, but um, I probably stand in against DL. Now, how do you? Know? <laughs> probably Grayson. This case, yeah, and Grayson. 
actually Grayson, when he throws his bullpens, they'll stand in sometimes. I'll be able to track pitches, so I think I can get a get a good at bat off Grayson. You smack one on him. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, what do you feel like uh, you are? Are you like a guy that works better against right-handed pitching, or is there much of a split difference for you? Um, I'd say just the comfortability is uh, righties for sure, but um, lefties, it's always like kind of a balance sometimes i'm feeling really good against him and then other times it's just like kind of uncomfortable tough to see that's how that's how it is with lefties you just got to step in and compete give your best shot yeah now you we have the number one prospect in baseball obviously you played with for a lot of the season just how good is adley rutschman he's unreal <laughs> he's a stud you know i'm excited to see him play in the big leagues one day probably next year but uh he's a great guy a great person to be around um it's just it's he's a great person to have in a clubhouse no matter what his talent is he's just such a good person to be around just energy confidence just he's always level-headed no matter highs or lows he just stays right there same person every day always competing always grinding so excited to have him part of the team so we've got some listener questions rolling in here uh vivek asked at tcu did you have access to similar analytical tools that you have down with the orioles um, I, th- I think it's a little bit different in terms of like analytics. We get to see exactly where the pitches are. We have the track man, the, um, just like all the analytics, the pitch speed, all that. And we didn't really get that back at TCU, and I'm not sure what they're doing now. They could be implementing the same thing, but um, I think the Orioles are doing a really good job with it it's in terms of um, how the hitters are able to see what pitches – in terms of what the pitchers have, how their balls move, all those types of stuff. So the Orioles are doing a really good job, and I think they're ahead of the game. So see how it goes. What is that learning curve for you like? How do they teach that to you, or is it something you felt like you kind of had a good grasp of before they started moving in that direction? Um, I think I was just like a, a raw hitter, I guess, just not with a lot of um, experience. Um, I, I can put – I can put the bats to the ball pretty well. So the thing with me is just being selective and waiting for a good pitch to hit. And that's what they try to preach on. Just get, get that good pitch in the zone and just be ready to attack it and just spit on the breaking balls and the other pitches that they try to get you to chase. And that just improves, improves a, a bunch of things for hitting. You improve your walks, you decrease uh, strikeouts and overall it's just, it helps hitting out a lot, and I think that's that's a really good thing that they got going. Got a question here from uh, listener David Adams. He says, in various interviews, we've heard the Orioles development staff talk about looking for players with and helping current players develop a growth mindset. What does a growth mindset mean to you, and how has the organization worked to help develop that? Great question, great question. Um, in terms of growth, we're just all pushing each other to be better, and we all know that we can be – be great and it just it comes down to the little things we we practice base running we practice um, being aggressive and just learning from our mistakes and that's the biggest thing is um just this game's a game of failure and everyone knows that but it how you respond to it and how you uh i guess just learn from it is the biggest thing um if you just keep swinging at balls in the dirt you got to learn from it and you just got to be better. And that's just how you're going to improve. And then just talking with each other, talking with the players, with the staff every single day. Um, We have meetings 
we always try to improve every single day just try to get that one percent better and you know that's a, that's tough over a long season but it's it's a good it's a good clubhouse it's a good uh staff and i think just this growth mindset it's uh it's gonna help us for sure something i'm curious about is you know we're at a kind of a later stage in the season it's you know later august now how do you keep that focus day to day for the months that you have in the minor league season Mm -hmm. yeah um it's it's for sure a long season we just just gotta take it day by day and we can't be thinking about oh we got one month left we got this we got that it's just you gotta stay present and so every single day you get to the field um, you're with your teammates. We're all going through the same thing. We all have aches and pains. We're all we're all in our highs and lows. It's part of baseball, but you just gotta make it count. Make every single day count. Just give your best effort. Just compete every single day. Just being in that double A playoff hunt help things with that. <laughs> yeah, being in that second place spot. I know that's the thing. Like some people, I'm sure they want to see their families. They want to see their girlfriends. But we all have that end goal. It's like. If we're here right now and we're we're striving to win that little championship to be the best team right now, that's just gonna it's gonna pay dividends in the long run. That could be us in the World Series in a few years. So I, I look at it in a positive aspect, just taking it day by day and just putting wins on top of wins and just going out there playing hard. I think it'll pay off. You know, those of us on the outside kind of look at, you know, win loss record of the minor league team and try to figure out what is the value in it when the goal of the minor leagues is development. But as a player, do you feel like it's there's something to be learned from being on a winning team in the minor league level? I'd say so, definitely. Just because um, when you're losing, it's, it's tough to get out of that rut and – you just always try to look at the negatives and you're like, what, what, what's this guy doing? The pitching sucks, the offense sucks. Like, there's always that, that strain going on, but with like a winning clubhouse. So, sorry, no, come on. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. You're good. <laughs> um, yeah, just being part of a winning clubhouse. Um, the hitters are able to learn from each other, the pitchers are able to learn from each other, the coaches with that winning mindset, and just coming from a winning background. It's just, that's how that's how you can win. You know what it you know what it's like. So you're like you're not stuck in this losing. You're like oh, what are we doing? How are, how are we going to get better? Just being able to win and be like, okay, that's what it feels like. That's that's how we got to play to our competition. I think that's that's what's going to help us. I think Orioles fans can relate with that. Uh, when are we ever going to win again? Right now, <laughs> in the midst of this losing streak. But mm-hmm. um, Vivek also wanted to know: Have you? undergone any swing changes since coming to the Orioles? Or are they just more refining what you already had to work with? It's a great question too. Um, this season has been a big season for me in terms of like growth and just mindset approach swings. Um, I started out pretty hot with Aberdeen. I started out hot with Bowie. I was doing well and then uh, got into a little slump and I haven't really had a slump in the minors yet until this year. And so, it was tough for me, for sure, just mentally, physically, emotionally, uh, spiritually. Um, I was I was messing with my swing. I was trying different things. Uh, I was seeing what was working, what wasn't. And then at the end of the day, I realized my swing doesn't really need much um, touch-ups. I mean, it, it's, it's pretty solid. I don't need to be thinking about 20 different things in the box while I'm trying to hit. It's going to make it way harder. 
So I went back to just competing, having that mindset that I'm better than the pitcher and that I've been doing this since I was seven years old, playing the game. And I've learned a lot, and my swing feels pretty pretty good right now. Um, I'm not trying to change much. I'm just going back to how I was, and I'm doing pretty solid, so stick with that. Yeah, you definitely had a good week this past week. I know that. So, Got to carry on that. <laughs> so uh, Real Talk Orioles asks, does being disciplined at the plate come with experience, or is that just something you can practice? Mm, a little bit of both, for sure. Um, it's definitely a lot of experience because, you know, just like anybody, anything comes with experience. Um, just seeing pitches, just swinging, just being out there, getting at bats. That's just how you're going to get that good discipline. I'm sure a bunch of guys with really good di- discipline have been doing it since a young age, and they've developed a really good sense of the strike zone. Um, and then you're able to practice it as well just through practice. Like the Orioles, we do uh, – like mix, so we'll go like, hey, coach, can you throw mix? We'll throw fastballs, curveballs, change-ups, and try to work on that bat just through that. And I think that's what helps us be successful rather than just feeding us BP, BP, just here, hit this fastball. And so it's really challenging us during practice and just being our best self and just being able to go out and perform at the game. So we got a question here from a listener, Brandon. He wants to know if there is a player that's in the farm system right now. It could be a teammate. It could be somebody you know on another uh, team in the Orioles farm system that you think is under the radar. Maybe doesn't get enough credit for how good they are. Got a lot of studs. I don't know. I feel like a bunch of guys are just studs, and I feel like they do get credit for for what they're doing. Um, I don't feel like too many people are passed up, so I'm not sure. I can't think of anybody. No worries. I mean, it's a very deep system. Yeah. Um, when we had Matt Blood on, he's talked about raise the floor, and that's definitely the case. I feel like there's it's all thriller, no filler yeah. in the Orioles system right now. He's a ton of good guys. Uh, another question from our listener, Ben Dorst. He said, with so many highly touted outfield prospects in the system, have you all been pushing each other and learning from each other? I mean, it is a lot of depth, and when there's no filler, obviously that breeds more competition. Does that, does that like drive you to want to do better? How does that work for you? Yeah, uh, I'm sure it drives everybody. And for me personally, uh, it's 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 like having a chip on your shoulder. You know, there's guys that are studs like Stowie, um, Watson, Shane Fontana, just a bunch of just a bunch of studs. So you're gonna have to just perform to your best ability, and it might add a little stress. But that's where you gotta like sit back, breathe, relax, and just know that you're good, good enough to play. And just go out and perform. And that's the biggest thing. And just in terms of um, just being around them, we push each other and we always compete. And I think that's what's help- that's what helps us. So Real Talk uh, Orioles has another one last question for you, which is what are your thoughts on electronic strike zone? I- I'm just curious from the top. Have you ever actually played in the game with an elect- uh, the electronic strike zone yet? I haven't, actually. I heard they were going to implement it in the minors, but they never did. But in terms of having one, I kind of, I kind of lean on it. I like, I like having good calls. I don't like getting rung up on a pitch that's not in the zone. I mean, nobody does, but it's part of the game, and that's what kind of makes it. That's what kind of makes it cool. That's what make, makes baseball baseball. But if you just put in an electronic strike zone, just robotic umpires, kind of takes the thrill of baseball away. 
You know, in the yeah, majors, we'll hear a broadcaster say a lot, like, this umpire has a pitcher strike zone or this umpire has a hitter strike zone. Mm-hmm. Do you find that's true in the minor leagues where you have a book and you know a certain umpire is back there, so the strike zone is going to be wider or it's going to be narrower uh, that particular game? Yeah, for sure. Um, there's some umpires that just just aren't great, and you know that going in. <laughs> so you just got to control what you can control and just compete and just do your best and just don't worry about what the umpires do. And if you know it's a bad pitch and you can't, you can't chase what they're trying to call. That's a bad pitch. And you gotta just focus on what you know and just keep competing. Yeah. About that robot umpires. It must be tough for catchers like Adley or, or uh, Chris Hudgens who are, they're trying to steal strikes behind the plate. Then they're arguing against the same one when they're up to bet. So, Bob, do we have any more listener questions for uh, Johnny? Not that I'm aware of. Really appreciate him coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, so, yeah, Johnny, thank you so much. And best of luck the rest of the way this season. Thank you. all appreciate you all having me. And I enjoy y'all's podcast. It's awesome. Oh, thanks, man. Can't wait to see you with the Orioles. I'm, I know it's coming in a couple of years. Hopefully. <laughs> all right, man. All right, we'll take care of y'all. All right, you too. All right, that was Johnny Reiser, outfielder for the Bowie Bay Sox. Um, really interesting to hear from him during what has been uh, a good season for Bowie, but also a good season for him personally as he made the jump from Aberdeen to Bowie earlier this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he has had a lot of success. And like he said, he went through that first real slump that he's had since he's been in the Orioles minor league system, and he's bounced back in a big way. He's got his batting average up to 268 and his OPS at like 770 again. So. Good on him, man. It was, it was good to have him on. It was interesting to hear kind of that, how that shift in analytics and that approach to hitting really has taken place since he was drafted. Because I was curious, like, was that there in 2019 and no one noticed yet? Because, we, you, you know, on the outside, we really weren't hearing about it. Whereas this year, we're hearing a lot more about it. But it seems like it's something that's really been built up since the end of the 2019 season. Yeah, that was definitely interesting. I mean... I know we heard a lot about the pitching was implemented earlier than the hitting stuff with uh, when it comes to player development, but I'm also not sure if maybe if when they are coming in from you know the draft and fresh in, are they are they really diving deep into that analytics, or are they just let them do their thing to get a baseline and then working with them? It's very interesting stuff there. Yeah, so definitely good insight from Johnny, um, and we'll get into now what's the big news of today. We're recording this episode on Monday. Demai Jones has finally been recalled from AAA Norfolk. Uh, Michael Franco was designated for assignment as part of a series of transactions today that saw the Orioles claim Connor Green off waivers from the Dodgers, option Richie Martin in Norfolk, um, and on Sunday, Cesar Valdez was sent to the Norfolk Tides after having been DFA'd a few days before. The big news there is Jones. Uh, we've basically been hearing from Orioles fans since about mid-June, when is Demai Jones going to get here? <laughs> because we saw this team really struggle at second base. And even when he cooled off at the plate last month uh, in Norfolk, uh, he's been picking it up a little bit lately. But even when he cooled off at the plate a little bit, you still had the sense that at some point they got to make this move because when it does happen, he has the possibility of being upgraded second base, despite the fact that you know, there have been questions about his defense. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And just a real quick thing on the transaction itself. Um, Kelvin Gutierrez also came back up. And at first I was a little confused, like, why not Rylan Bannon? You know, you're getting rid of Michael Franco. You know, maybe you could do Bannon at third, Jones at second. You can mix in Mateo. But 
I think I what they must be saying is we're got to get these guys at bats, and Gutierrez has a better chance of just being mostly a bench player, come in late defensively if he needs to. So overall, I came around on it, but hopefully we see Bannon soon as well too. But yeah, it's going to be fun to see Jones go out there. He's an athlete. He can work a walk. He can drive the ball. It's going to be interesting to see if he really needed that extra time. Um, I don't know if there's any way that we could tell, but obviously they kept him down for a reason, and they think the time is right. And uh, I, I'm definitely watching the game tomorrow. I wasn't planning on it before now. <laughs> yeah, so this will actually not be Jones' major league debut. He got seven at-bats towards the tail end of the 2020 season with the Angels, who he will now make his Orioles debut against most likely as the Angels come to Camden Yards on Tuesday. Uh, just as a recap, because there's been a lot of trades uh, between the Orioles and the Angels over the last uh, – <laughs> two years or so Jones was the return in the Alex Cobb trade that was made before the 2021 season. Uh, we saw him a little bit at major league spring training, but he started this year at Norfolk, got off to a hot start. As I noted, had cooled off at the plate lately, but you know, you look at the numbers that he put up at triple a Norfolk seven forty five OPS while playing mostly second base with 10 homers, 10 steals. This is a guy that's a pretty athletic player. And although maybe, you know, still a little bit raw in some areas, I think offers some upside that could benefit this team right now. And then, you know, depending on how he does, he could be in that mix for starting second base job next year. Oh, yeah, I definitely think it's kind of akin to me as when Austin Hayes got that look in September in, in 2019, and he really put on a good performance there. And then obviously came into 2020 looking like the starter that he had earned it, but then he got hurt and et cetera, et cetera with him. But this seems like a nice little tryout for him to try to take over second base. Or if you look at the guys that they have in the infield right now, you got Jemai Jones, uh, Jorge Mateo, Ramon Urias. So there's some versatility there. You know, Jones could play left field. He could play second base. Urias can play all over the infield. Mateo can play pretty much everywhere except for catcher and pitcher. So it's a chance to just work him around, see where the best fit is. And I think Elias, his ultimate goal is going to have – be to have like nine Shohei Tanis that can play any position, they can pitch, they can do it all. So maybe Jemai Jones is the first in that. Well, I mean, there ha definitely has been a shift, I think, in the way that they're working with their middle infielders because you look in the minor leagues, Taron Babra's gotten some time in center field. Adam Hall had gotten time in center field before he got hurt at Aberdeen. So Jones came into the organization already offering that. Uh, he had been an outfielder but then had played second base later on in his minor league career with the Angels. So it, that versatility, I think, has to appeal to the Orioles. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, you got to find ways to get these guys in the lineup, especially if next year, 2022, if we're going to be a young team, maybe we make a free agent signing or two. Well, that remains to be seen. But if you think about it, there's a lot of guys that are going to be, you know, banging on the door, starting to be expecting to get some call-ups and looks at the major league level. A better, best way to get you know, all these guys in there and rotate them through, maybe have them playing five times a week is some versatility. So you can, you can have Mountcastle in left field, first base or DH, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I think the one thing, and I, I think that, you know, maybe we're not at the point where we were in June, where I think that there were some fans that may have thought that like Jones getting pros to the major leagues was suddenly going to flip the switch and turn this team around. No player in the minor leagues right now should have to feel the pressure of, come up and be the savior for the major league team. Yeah, really what you're just looking at is can he get good at bats? Can he get good reps at second base and get a good look in the outfield too, which is, I suspect is going to be part of the plan. 
Um, but I don't, you know, it's not fair to him or really anybody else to be coming up from Norfolk here over the next five weeks or so to be expected to uh, try to get the Orioles out of this mess. Absolutely, especially with very, I mean, he did make his debut with the Angels, but very limited time at this level. He still was affected by the pandemic season, not getting many official at-bats. So, yeah, I don't even think Babe Ruth could come in here and help this team at this point. So let's keep the expectations low. Maybe he can hit a couple of homers, steal a couple of bases, make some nice plays on defense. So, Bob, now that the Michael Franco era, uh, Michael Franco era is over, uh, any thoughts there? I mean, it was a good one. <laughs> I mean, I was actually pretty <laughs> fine with the signing when it happened in spring training. I mean, he had a pretty solid year for Kansas City last year. He came in as a power-hitting defensive liability at third base, and I actually think he played better defense than he, than he hit for us. So it definitely didn't go as expected. He went on an injured list for a while. At least he was a body. He wasn't Rio Ruiz, so there's that. I'll give him that. He hit that one really long home run that game in Canton Yards. I think it hit it off the facing of the upper deck or the facing of the club level. That was pretty cool. Yeah. The, was that at the game we were at uh, together? I, it was around that. I, we weren't there that night, but it was around that time, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I remember that. Yeah. that We'll always have that. <laughs> yeah. We will always have that on the uh, highlight field from this time at the Orioles. So Vivek has a thought here with Vavro likely to be added to the 40-man, adds to the mix of Jones, Bannon, Urias, uh, Martin. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a good mix there. Yeah, and I can't wait to talk about the 40-man decisions. I mean, we've been teasing it for a while now but already, but even Adam Hall, is he going to be on there? Probably not, but does someone take a, a stab at a guy that could just sit on the bench and steal 30 bases, pinch running for a season, and then add them to their system? So, Adam... Adam Hall, Adam Tibbs system, get it? <laughs> yeah, I got nothing else. Well, I mean, you could even put the same question out there about Caden Rainier and his defense. Is there someone that loves that defense up the middle enough to decide, you know, bring him in, make him a late-inning defensive replacement, a guy that gets the occasional start, and then if the bat isn't there, just stick him down AAA next year to have his organizational depth. Yeah, kind of like Richie Martin-esque, as the Orioles did. Yeah, so there is going to be – I know that we're probably going to take a deep dive into that sometime maybe September or October and get into not just, I think, the players that we could see added to the 40-man roster, but the ones that could be removed as well. Yeah, absolutely. There's going to be a lot of transition, I think, this offseason, as long as it doesn't get shut down for the majority of it. It could be definitely interesting. I don't even know – I was thinking about this the other day. How many of the players – I guess before Jones got promoted, are actually going to be on this team next year. I mean, it's it's got to be like seven or eight, maybe. So this is this is why I think that Dan Conley article, which we might get into, is a little bit off base because I don't think this year's team has really anything to do with future teams. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't think that you're looking at this roster right now, certainly in the starting rotation, the bullpen, and seeing a lot there, other than John Means, um, that you view as kind of a long-term, you know, part of this plan that the Orioles have. So speaking of the 40-man roster, we're going to talk about a guy that's actually on there and who was added in the offseason. That was Ryland Bannon. Uh, Bannon missed some time with injury this year, but when he had been on the field, had really struggled at AAA Norfolk. All of a sudden, though, in the month of August, he's been – probably the hottest hitter in the Orioles farm system and maybe one of the hottest hitters in the minors. 
Um, so through 15 games this month, he's batting 306 with an OPS of 1.281 with nine homers and 17 RBIs. That brings his total to 14 home runs on the year. Um, I think some people may have expected that we were going to get an infielder called up from AAA today. That would be Bannon just because of how hot he's been, even though the overall numbers there still aren't great. But, Bob, I'll just jump in here with your thoughts. Is this one of those, like, DJ Stewart-esque uh, tears where it's going to last for seven to ten days and then nothing happens after that? Or do you think this is a sign that he's finally healthy and settling in a triple I? <laughs> I think it could go either way, that's for sure. And I said Babe Ruth couldn't even help this team, and maybe that's why they didn't bring Bannon up because he's hitting like Babe Ruth right now, and it's not going to help. But, uh, no, I could see it going either way. Uh, he he has probably the worst batting average for balls in play for maybe anyone in the minor leagues. It's like 167 or something. I mean, that's pretty dreadful. So the luck has just not been there. On top of the injury that he suffered earlier in the season, I wonder how much that played a factor. This is obviously the orange-colored glasses version of what's going on, and he's finally just putting it all together, getting healthy, and the luck turning around. Uh, it's probably somewhere in the middle. He's probably just say that his BABIP was like 275 instead of 167. He's probably hitting like 240, and his OPS is probably in the low 800s, which we would have accepted coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, he's always been kind of an on-base guy, which, you know, his batting average right now is 173, but his on-base percentage is 277. So that tells you that, you know, even when he's struggling, he's able to get that on-base percentage up significantly more than the batting average. One thing I find interesting here, and this is how much of a terror he's been on with his power, he's played in only 58 games this year, and he's got 14 home runs, which includes one that he hit at Aberdeen while working his way back from injury. That mm -hmm. surpasses the total he put up in 130 games in 2019 when he hit 11. And it's uh, right now eight homers side of the career high of 22 that he hit back in 2018, the year that he came over to the Orioles as part of the Manny Machado trade. Um, you know, so I guess the question here with Bannon is, do you think that now that there seems to be a little bit more of an opening there, we see him at third base at some point? Yeah, I definitely think he'll be up. I think, you know, they don't open up the whole 40-man roster anymore for September, but it does increase by two roster spots. And I'm thinking they're going to give DJ Stewart until September 1st, and then we might see McKenna replace him on the roster, and then you bring Bannon up, and you have a little bit more of that young, exciting tryout-of-a-month type of thing. I just think you got to get him up here. He's on the 40-man. Give him a shot. He's hot right now. You might as well see if he can translate it to the major leagues. He's not going to be, you know, a guy that you're counting on. But if you don't give him a shot, I feel like now or this season at least, then he has a chance to be passed up pretty quickly uh, by guys like Westberg, who's already in Double A early or late into next season. So I, I would give him the shot. Why not? It doesn't hurt anything. Yeah, I mean, I think you want to try to be careful with it because if he's just getting his footing at Triple A, do you want to make the? You know, I think there is a risk in bringing him up too quickly if that's the case. But at the same time, you don't want to leave him down there indefinitely or I think even for another month because you're going to be running out of time at the major league level. And I think you at least want an idea of whether or not you can put him in on that list next year of guys that could get a look at third base or second base or even just as a utility option because he can move back and forth between second and third. So 
if you have someone that could play those two spots and give you a little bit of something with the bat, that would be worth considering for an opening day roster spot next year. Yeah, certainly. And depending on what they do in the offseason, if they sign Carlos Correa or they just sign, you know, another Freddie Galvis type, I mean, he's a guy, third base is not, there's nothing really much doing there. So he definitely has a chance to win that job out of spring training or at least put himself right on that radar where he can come up at a moment's notice and step in. So we're going to move on now. We're going to talk about something. And Bob and I had talked a lot about this leading up to this, so whether or not we're going to discuss it. And But we've been hearing a lot about it from our listeners, and that's an article that Dan Connolly wrote in The Athletic last week. And the headline of the article is, The Dirty Little Secret of the Orioles Rebuild is Pitching Cupboards Nearly Bare. Now, Connolly notes in his article that D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are both in the top 100 but throws a lot of skepticism towards the pitchers behind those two guys. And I know that Bob has some pretty strong feelings about this article, so I'm just going to go ahead and let him jump in now. Yeah, luckily I've been on a couple other shows over the weekend to kind of burn that anger out a little bit. But I'm just coming around to, I think it's just journalistically irresponsible of the athletic to have one guy covering the Orioles who has a particular opinion, and that's fine, but I think it's wrong, but it's okay to disagree. But where's the other voice that's going to come in? And now you have everyone who writes for that site just going along with whatever Conley wrote, and that's his prerogative. But I just I disagree with it so so entirely, from top to bottom. I just think it is a complete nonsense thing. I think it's very cherry picked the way that he said rival anonymous scouts. It's you know only picking certain things here and there. The timing couldn't be better in the midst of a long losing streak where the pitching's been dreadful. But like I said earlier, I just don't think the season has anything to do with the real rebuild as a whole. I think there's plenty of pitching depth in the prospect system for the Orioles. Yeah, maybe not to the likes of Grayson Rodriguez or D.L. Hall, but who does? Nobody other than the Marlins. They're the only team with more than two top 100 pitching prospects in their system. We have guys like Gene Pinto who are maybe a little bit further away, but he could be a turtle stud just like Grayson and D.L. on the same level. We have guys like Kyle Bronovich, Michael Bauman, uh, Kyle Bradish, all these guys that have the potential to be mid to late, uh, mid to back end, excuse me, starters, or at least good relievers. And those have value too. We also could sign free agents. It is allowed. We have plenty of financial flexibility and we have a very, very deep farm system. In fact, it's the number one and number two rated farm system by most major outlets. And you can trade from that depth as Houston did when Mike Elias was there to acquire pitching in the vein of Justin Verlander, Zach Greinke, whatever. So, yeah, I got worked up again. <laughs> well, yeah, in the Marlins, or it's interesting you bring up the Marlins, because I think the Marlins have sort of operated on the opposite move of the Orioles. Was the Orioles have gone hitter-heavy in their rebuild. The Marlins under Derek Jeter and now Kim Eng are very pitcher-focused. And I don't know that necessarily one is better than the other, and time's going to tell us if that's the case, but – you know, to have an organization that has bought into pitching at the minor league levels as much as the Marlins had, Marlins have really be the only one ahead of you says something because the Marlins are far away ahead of everybody by design. That's what they're out to do. Whereas the Orioles have targeted hitters, and we've talked about that repeatedly in our draft coverage. Um, you know, is it going to work long term? We'll see. But I do think they're building enough depth that if the current group of pitchers that are in the minors now 
doesn't address all of their needs, they can go out and acquire more later. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think Elias is, I think we could see now the plan is draft, you know, high upside bats and draft, when you draft pitchers, he's drafting relievers. He's drafting guys that he thinks can be really solid relievers. And obviously, I think you're going to want to use the international market to get some starters and some other high upside guys. But I think the trade market is where his he his value is acquiring pitchers because pitching development is hard and it takes longer than hitting development. And why not trade for a guy who's already mostly developed or fully developed rather than, you know, there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, uh, you know, that mantra. So, yeah, I think it's just it's by design, and yet still we have some of the best pitching prospects because we have the best pitching prospect in Grayson Rodriguez, and we have a guy who has been in the top 100 for two or three years now and one of the best lefties. Do you think it's fair, given what we've seen kind of this year from these guys, like a guy like Kyle Braddis got off to such a dominant start and then has been more up and down at Norfolk? Does the fact that he struggled more at AAA dampen your expectations at all? Because I feel like we've been seeing a little bit of that more lately where, you know, because Braddis is struggling, people aren't as hopeful about the pitchers behind him. The fact that Bauman's coming off the injury. I feel like both of those guys have put together great years under this circumstance. And so I, but I'm curious to hear what you have to think about that. I 100% feel exactly the same way now as I did three months ago when he was lighting it up in Bowie. I mean, this is what they want to do. We had Matt Blood come on here. They want to push these guys. They want them to struggle and to have to adjust. They could have kept him at Bowie until July or August and have him put up dominant crazy numbers and try to get him pushed onto a top 100 list just to inflate the value. But no, they wanted to actually work on his skills. It wasn't much of a struggle for him in AA, so they moved him up to AAA with more experienced guys. And now he's working on it. Obviously, you know he has struggled, and there are things he needs to work on. But he was going to have to work on them regardless whether he's pitching in double A or triple A. At least now he's going through those struggles and can adjust from there. Yeah, and that, that's part of the process of player development. These guys are going to be challenged at some point, and whether you know it's him or it's Kevin Smith or you know some of the work that Michael Bauman had to put in early on when he was coming back, this is all part of the process, especially with pitching. Yeah, and I feel like Orioles fans, and I'm sure every team does this, you're only looking at your guys, your guys, your guys. But if you compare, you know, to the league wide as a whole, the struggles aren't that out of the ordinary. This is just, this is part of it. This is how it goes. Yeah, so there, there's a lot, you know, that we're going to learn over the next few years. But I don't think that the approach to developing pitching right now is the way that it has ever been in Baltimore. Um, and we just got to keep an open mind at this point. And you know what? Overall, the depth behind uh, Rodriguez and Hall, no, there's no top 100 guys in there. I, I won't dispute that. But that's not really the point. That's not, you know, you're not trying to stockpile a bunch of top 100 pitching prospects of use as your measure. You look at the depth from top to bottom, and it's pretty good. And, hey, if Michael Ballman ends up a reliever, I think he's going to end up being a pretty good one. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as long as he can stay healthy. So I'm not I'm not too worried about it. And I know that it's really easy to get down on the Orioles right now because of the way that they're struggling at the major league level and that you know, all of the prospects that everybody's glued to, whether it's Adley Rutzman, Grayson Rodriguez, or you know, even Jordan Westberg, aren't gonna be here this year. They're probably not gonna be here till this time next year at the earliest. Um it, you know, if you're looking when all three will be here. So I think 
two things go differently this year. Everything else is exactly the same. And it's a whole different story when it comes to hashtag Birdland. If one of Aiken or Kramer performed the way they did last year, probably would have been Kramer if it was going to be someone. People, that's one more stable starter. And if just one of Alexander Wells or Zach Lothar or even Bruce Zimmerman was able to stay healthy, but one of Lothar or Wells was able to come up mid-year and, you know, pitch effectively, not great, but just be there as a reliable guy that can run out there like Spencer Watkins is kind of doing now. Those two things, I think, would have changed everyone's tune. But ultimately, that's not really the guys that we're counting on in the future. So it's certainly a road bump and very disappointing, but it's not the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. So, Bob, you mentioned you've been on the uh, press junket over the last few days. Can you tell us where, where you've been blogging uh, our show? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I tweet out that Dan Connolly's article is trash, and all of a sudden I get invited on to a million different shows. But, uh, yeah, I was on, um, what is it, Press Box Online's um, The Bat Around with Paul Valley and Zach Goodman. had a, well, Zach Goodman wasn't there that day, but he's the normal host. I had a good time on there talking about, everything that's going on with the pitching prospects and more overall. And then just this morning I was on the mass and all access program with Brandon and Paul. And that was a great time. Wish I would have known that I was on video. So I would have looked at the camera more often, but it is what it is. Yeah. I had fun doing that. I'll talk about the Orioles all day, every day, invite me on all your shows. I'm going to be on um, talking birdie on Thursday night. Those guys are great too. So looking forward to that as well. Yeah, exactly. So we'll now move on to our final segment that we do every week. And Bob and I will carry that on with uh, Nick's absence. And that's where we highlight a player outside of our top 30. Oh, we'll get to this question here real quick. P-Dubs80 asks, O's mimicking Astros hitting development plan and Ray's pitching development plan. Agree or disagree? Yeah, actually, I kind of agree with that. That's a, that's a pretty good take there. Um, obviously, I think the Astros thing is right on. And But the Astros had a decent pitching development as well. I could see that. I think everyone would love to see that. <laughs> Both are good at doing those things. So, yeah, I'll say yes. If you could fuse those two things, you've built the best organization in baseball. I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I think everybody wants to try to do that. And I think that the hitting development especially seems to kind of follow what the Astros did. So, you know, I think if you're looking at those two as models, it's a wise move. Yeah, for sure. That would be the dream, right? Yeah, exactly. So we'll now get into this final segment and uh, start off with the guy that Bob wants to highlight. Yeah, I'm going to dig really deep. A guy I've been keeping my eye on since the Dominican Summer League started. You know, we, we've we heard about Michael Hernandez. We've heard about Samuel Basalo. But there's another name who is really lighting the world on fire down there. Over 70 at-bats. He's got a three fifty seven batting average, four thirty on-base percentage, in a 973 OPS with five doubles, a triple, two home runs, two stolen bases, nine walks compared to only 11 strikeouts. And I'm talking about Anderson De Los Santos, 17 years old. I saw a tweet, I think it was yesterday, that showed that he has the best OPS amongst DSL players that are 17 or younger. So that's pretty impressive. This was a guy who was signed for $350,000 in the 2020 international signing class which is still pretty high up there. If it was a year prior, he would have been up there with Luis Gonzalez and Luis Ortiz as having, you know, that upper echelon for the Orioles, at least uh, signing. But as is, he gets overshadowed a little bit by the million dollar babies and he's, he's lighting it up. And I'm really curious to see him next year, if he gets pushed to Delmarva to start or if he's going to start in the FCL, but 
I want to see this guy play. It looks like he's got some skills. Anytime a 17-year-old is putting up those type of numbers in pro ball, regardless of what level it is, I think you have to be kind of excited. Um, and I think this does go into sort of that emphasis on up-the-middle talent that the Orioles are taking under Mike Elias um, that we're seeing not just in the U.S.-based affiliates, but down in the Dominican Summer League as well. So De Los Santos is a guy for me that, you know, he's definitely jumped on my radar more here in the last couple of weeks. And I think we at least see him in the Florida Complex League next year. And he can be kind of in the mix with guys like Isaac De Leon now, where maybe they're not cracking that top 40, top 35 prospect list, but you're still really keeping a close eye on him because you know that the potential is high. Yeah, if this guy is putting up these numbers next year in Delmarva, then all of a sudden he is a top 30, top 20 type of prospect. So, yeah, it's definitely it's this is what this is the thing we have to learn how to do as Orioles fans. How do we track these international guys? I think you just take note of what they're doing, try to keep their name in the back of your head. And then once they get to that full season ball where it's more competitive and more stats based, then then you're really, you know, that's when you make your move as far as your rankings and stuff. So the guy that I wanted to shout out this week is Billy Cook, the 10th round pick out of Pepperdine in this year's draft. You know, he was also promoted in that group from the Florida Coast League up to Delmarva. And it seems like they, you know, he got lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I wanted to point out his numbers through his first four games at Delmarva. Um, 5 for 15 to play, 844 OPS. Overall now in his first 11 games, he's batting 306 with a 761 OPS. And here's something I find really interesting. Three stolen bases at each level gives him six total, has yet to be caught. And in fact, he has more steals so far in 11 pro games than he had at Pepperdine in 33 games this season. Uh, we heard a lot about his speed coming out of the draft and that that speed may allow him to stick in center field, um, even though he'd been a guy in college that played both infield and outfield. But what's interesting is when you look at his numbers in Pepperdine, the speed didn't necessarily translate into stolen base numbers, and now it is. So I'm curious to see how that looks going forward. Yeah, that is very interesting. I wonder if the speed was always there, but for whatever reason, Pepperdine just, you know, wasn't keen on sending guys. It was a strategy type thing, or if this is something the Orioles just said, go crazy, let's see how it goes. It's definitely interesting, but all these guys at the from the 2021 draft class have gotten off to pretty good starts. I really don't think there's anyone that is just like, um, you know, struggling completely. Connor Norby didn't have the best time in the FCL, but now he had a OPS over a thousand in his first week in Delmarva. So, yeah, Billy Cook, another exciting name in the outfield to add to the list. Delmarva has so much outfield talent. Now we talked about at the beginning of the year how they had all these infielders. So yeah, how are you going to sort out all these infielders? And they had guys like Henderson, Servidio, Westberg, Hernaiz there. Now they have Cook, Kowser, Rhodes, and Trimble that they can run out in the outfield any given night. And Dante Williams, don't forget. Yeah, him. Dante Williams. <laughs> so, so you've got you've got three or four legitimate center fielders in there, not just good outfielders, but guys that can play center field pretty well. It's no wonder we're seeing outings like Jensen Elliott and Houston Roth yesterday having four innings with no strikeouts but not giving up any runs. The defense is chasing them down. It helps. Yeah, yeah so the next month or so is definitely going to be a fun time to be a Shorebirds fan. Um, we're going to be back next week with Kyle Glazer of Baseball America is set to join us and we'll have Nick back with us as well. So the three of us are really looking forward to that. In the meantime, check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for all the latest articles on there on the Orioles, Ravens, and more. Be sure to hop on the message board and join the discussion. Uh, you can comment on Bob's two latest stories that went up on the site today, 
or you could comment on something else there that you have an interest in. Certainly a lot of good content on the site as well as on our other BSL radio podcasts. So be sure to check that out. And uh, in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Verge. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.